God bless you and welcome to our Sunday morning virtual worship service on this beautiful Sunday morning. Uh, it's Super Bowl Sunday, so I know that you're preparing to, uh, uh, to cheer for your favorite team, and I, I hope they win, wh whoever it may be. Amen. Well, this morning I'm going to be reading from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 6, beginning in verse 20. I'm going to read a couple of verses here, and we're continuing on our theme of the family, and I'd like to hear what God is saying to us, uh, our family members, those especially who are married this morning, those who are married, those who are in relationships, you know your words really matter. Uh, let's find out what I'm talking about here. I'm going to read from 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 20. It says this, when David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning as we gather together around your word, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would bring about, my God, direction and understanding. Help us to understand the power of our words. I pray that your blessing will be upon every relationship, every marriage, every couple, Lord God, that you have called together, that you've brought together. Strengthen them, be with them, and speak to them this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. You know, well, as we continue this theme on the family, we come to this story about David and Michal. Michal was the daughter of King Saul, and she loved David dearly. But the two of them had totally different backgrounds. Michal and her father Saul, he was the king of Israel prior to David becoming king. And, and he enjoyed that kingly lifestyle, the royal lifestyle, the, the nobility, right? The pomp and all of the, uh, you know, the, the highness that comes with being a king. They were very uh, distinct kinds of people. They wanted to be known for their opulence, for their greatness. David, on the other hand, was a poor shepherd boy. You know the story. Uh, he was so poor that he couldn't even afford to pay the dowry to, to, to marry uh, Michal. But, but because Saul wanted David to marry her, he said, well, don't worry about the cost. If you kill a hundred Philistines, you can marry my daughter. Well, David, because he loved her so much, ended up killing 200 Philistines. They were deeply in love with one another. She loved him and he loved her. And the Bible shows that their love for one another was off the charts. In, in fact, uh, it, it was probably one of the greatest love stories that you can read in the scriptures of the Bible. But they had a fight. 
a little fight, just one little fight, and it brought this beautiful love relationship to a crashing end. And you got to ask the question, can this really happen? Can words really destroy a relationship? Can words cause love to die? And this is what we want to find out this morning in this story. Here in 2 Samuel chapter 6, David was celebrating the Ark of the Covenant as it's returned back to Jerusalem. It had been away for quite some time, and he was bringing it back to Jerusalem, and he was ecstatic. The Ark of the Covenant represents the very presence of God, and for David, nothing was more valuable than God's presence. For this, this is what David lived for. He was a worshiper of God. And as a worshiper, the presence of God meant everything for David. And it was God's presence that carried David through the toughest times of his life. It was God's presence that gave him direction and clarity. It was God's presence that anointed him and enabled him to do all of the great things he had done. So he valued the presence of the Lord. So when he brought the ark back to Israel, he celebrated with all his might. And the Bible tells us that the entire nation celebrated with him and everybody took part in this tremendous parade, dancing and singing, slaughtering animals as they moved from, from uh, spot to spot, closer and closer to the place where they would bring the ark. From royal officials, they were all there, the noble people were all there, all the way down to the slave girls of his servants. So you know they must have been the lowest of the low. They were the slave girls of the servants. All of them were there. All of them were rejoicing. And David was so overjoyed in all of this celebration that he threw off his royal clothes and began to dance before the Lord in his chonies. Well, that's what it says in the Inglewood version, right? But in the midst of all that excitement, verse 16 tells us, that Michal was watching from a distance. It says that as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window, right, just from a distance, looking at him, watching him. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. In spite of all the love that she had for him, in spite of the deep feelings that she had for him, she was outraged to see him carrying on the way he was. Saul and his family was about pride. They were all about uh, royal distinction and dignity. They, they were different than David and his upbringing, right? And, and showing any emotion in front of common people was beneath them, right? They were royalty, they were a, a cut above everybody else, and they wanted everybody to know that, right? So it would be beneath them to show their emotions the way David was, right? And, and especially to disrobe in front of the slave girls, that would be the ultimate disgrace. And being the daughter of Saul, Michal felt the exact same way her father would have felt. This is why she was enraged. David was behaving like a common man rather than behaving like a king. Her father would have never behaved this way. 
Her father would have never danced this way and, and, and been, uh, you know, had this much emotion expressed in front of the common people, disrobing as he's dancing before the Lord. But, but her father didn't value the presence of God like David did. So she couldn't believe that he was out there dancing like a fool, like a maniac. And on the other hand, David couldn't believe that she wasn't out there dancing with him. Right. A difference of opinion, a different upbringing. You know, this kind of fight can happen with any couple. You think about it in marriage. The values of two totally different families comes together. Whenever two people are married, the values of one family and the values of another family that are deeply entrenched in our lives, our upbringing, the way we think about things, the way we see things, we come together in marriage. And oftentimes those values are so deep seated, deep rooted that they never surface until a problem occurs, until a situation comes up that brings those values to the surface. And that's when the conflict happens. So here, as the celebration ended, David is on his way home and Michal greets him by saying how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. Ouch, right? Here you have David at the highest moment of his life. And on the other hand, Michal, who was furious to see him behaving the way he was. And even though everybody was celebrating with David, the only thing Michal seemed to notice was David acting a fool in front of the slave girls, in front of the slave girls. There were all kinds of people. The entire nation was out there, but she noticed them. It could have been a little jealousy, maybe a little insecurity, but it made her furious against David, and she didn't hesitate to let him know. Oh, yeah, David, you really distinguished yourself today going around half naked in full view of the slave girls like a vulgar maniac, right? I saw you out there, right? And in an instant, that love, that tremendous love began to turn to hate. What she felt in her heart when she saw him through the window, she was able to put that into words. And she threw those words at David and those words were sharp and painful and she expressed everything that was in her heart at that very moment. And she ridiculed the whole event as a shameful waste of time and that David himself was a disgrace to the kingdom. So David responds with twice the aggression, right? This is usually how it works. You throw your words at me and I'll throw my words back at you. And so he told Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the, the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. Well, that's a double ouch, right? In Inglewood, we would have just said your mama. But he started talking about her whole family. He talked about her father and how God rejected her father. Right. In fact, he rubbed it in her face that her father had been rejected by God. He rubbed it in her face. And, he, and not only to say that, but he says that this vulgar man, this 
maniac who is dancing out there that you call a, 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 you know, a vulgar man, it's this man that God replaced your father on the throne of, of Israel. He put me there instead of your father or instead of anyone from your house. Ouch, man, that's, that's painful, right? David is saying, it's not like I'm dancing to a jungle boogie right there. I'm celebrating before the Lord. But he doesn't stop there. Verse 22, he says, I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Well, what he's saying here is, man, if you think this is humiliating, I'll become even more undignified when I humble myself before the God who raised me up. As I humble myself, as I recognize all that God has done in my life, as I begin to serve him and humble myself before him, you think that it's humiliating now. I'm going to humiliate myself. Right. David was willing to be a fool for God, to, to do whatever it takes to show God how grateful he was for the things God had done in his life. He's saying, I'm not concerned about distinction. I'm not concerned about being dignified. I am worshiping the Lord. Then David rubs a little more salt in the wound. By saying, oh, yeah, one more thing. And in the eyes of the slave girls you spoke of. I will be held in high honor, right? In other words, these are the twilight treasures. These are the treasures out of darkness. They recognize this dance that I'm doing. They know what it means to be redeemed of the Lord. I can't lose my dignity in their eyes. On the contrary, they can relate to me. They know exactly what I'm talking about when I'm, you know, shaking a leg out there, uh, uh, you know, in front of the, the slave girls of Israel. When they see me dance before the Lord, they'll know that I'm a treasure too, that I come from the same place that they come from, grateful to God, redeemed by God. They know, they'll see me and they'll understand, right? He lifted me from the ashes, right? I, I'm familiar with the ashes. I'm familiar with the mire and the clay. I won't lose their respect. If anything, I'll give them hope. If anything, I'll give them something to hope for, something to look for. Unlike your father. Oh man, that, that would have been painful, right? My zeal for the Lord will show the world that it's the humble man, it's the undignified man, right? The man who longs for God's presence, that's the man God will place on your father's throne as king of Israel. And that's the man the twilight treasures can respect. They don't know you, they don't know your father, but they'll know me because I'll have the same joy that the broken have, a joy that worships God without concern about dignity. And from that moment, David no longer looked for any approval from Michal. Instead, he had the approval of the people of the nation, the treasures out of darkness. He had the, the approval and the respect of the twilight treasures. Amen. He had the approval of all the slave girls of Israel, the undignified, the lost, those that were, uh, in Michal's eyes, nothing, kind of in the way. You know, there was a clash of values here, a clash of backgrounds, a clash of upbringing. One person that grew up on one side of the tracks and the other on the other side of the tracks. And, and this 
difference of opinion about worship, this difference about going to church, about celebrating before the Lord, that difference of opinion. Let's go to let's serve God together. Let's rejoice together in, in the presence of the Lord. Let's go and celebrate together. There was such a difference of opinion that it broke them apart. It tore that love apart. A difference of opinion between two people. And it's amazing that going to church is what brought all of this to the surface. Right? Two totally different people. They were in love with each other. Deeply in love, but different. And the final verse summarizes the remainder of their marriage relationship. It says in verse 23, And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. You know, out on the playground, we used to sing that little song, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, not according to this story, right? According to this story, it shows that words can unravel the deepest love that words can leave scars that eyes can't see, that words are often remembered long after the physical scars have faded away. Words are painful. Here you have two people whose words were designed to hurt. They, they wanted to hurt each other. Their words were designed to hurt. And what started out as a, a little fight, just a small exchange of words, drove two people completely apart. Proverbs 15.1 says a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And that's exactly what happened here. Relationship experts would describe it this way. And there are relationship experts. I don't know why there are relationship experts, but they would describe this as a low level bidirectional aggression. Right. We just call it a fight in Inglewood. Right. An argument. Right. And, and, and I believe that every fight, every argument has the potential to take a little something out of the relationship. It, it, it begins to chip away at the love that a couple has with each other when they fight and they argue. And it goes on day after day. Something is lost. Something is chipped away at. And that love relation begins to grow weaker and weaker. But I believe that every fight makes it easier for a person to believe that quarreling is the norm. Every fight makes a person believe that, hey, man, we can never truly find compatibility. This is just how it is. This, we're just going to argue every day. And I want you to know that that's a lie from the enemy. And I'd like to let you know this morning that as a believer, you have been given everything you need to have the peace that God desires for you to have in your relationship. And there are a couple of things that I think we need to think about because fights will come. Arguments will come, but they don't define the direction of your relationship. So I'm going to read. There's some some things, six things, brief things. I won't be long. Six things found in, in the book of Ephesians, chapter four, beginning in verse 25 to verse uh, 32. And I think that it provides the perfect framework to think about how to have a fight. Right. Number one, keep it accurate. Keep it accurate. You think about all the times that we fight and we say things that are just not true to each other. Hello, somebody. Right. Keep it at Ephesians 4.25. It says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, 
for we are all members of one body. Right? How often do we exaggerate in our arguments? We say things like, you never, or you always, and we know it's not true. They don't you know, always do whatever it is we're accusing them of doing. Tell the truth. Make it accurate. Tell the truth. Don't be cynical. Don't be sarcastic. Michal uh, totally mischaracterized David. She totally put him in a, in a whole different frame of mind. He wasn't out there dancing for the slave girls. He made it clear, I was dancing before the Lord who lifted me up. A and she got it all twisted. But get it accurate. You know, make sure that you tell the truth. Number two, keep it under control. Right? Ephesians 4.26 says, In your anger, do not sin. Michal allowed herself to brood over what she saw when she looked out the window. And, and, and the more she thought about it, the more likely she's going to do something or say something that she's going to regret. Keep it under control. Don't let those feelings get the best of you. Don't let uh, you know, disappointment uh, turn to anger that, 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 and, and it festers inside of us to, to the point where we have a violent outburst with those that we love. Keep it under control. Number three, keep it timed right, right? Keep it timed right. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, it says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. You know, some of us have been harboring uh, you know, disagreements and anger for months. And, and if we were to ask, hey, what were we arguing about? We can't even remember anymore. It's been so long, right? But time it. Don't, don't let the sun go down and still be angry at the person you love, right? I never go to sleep with Debbie angry at me. I make sure, hey, you know, we're going to make amends, right? Uh, who knows what will happen in my sleep, right? We can't remember what we're mad about, man. Put it to rest. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Deal with it today. Make a, an agreement, a pact with the one you love. Hey, you know, when the sun goes down, so do all the defenses. We're going to make amends. We're going to make peace. Amen. Don't let it carry on day after day. Keep it timed right. Number four, keep it tactful. And you know what that word tactful means? It means to be considerate. It means to be delicate with your words. Ephesians 4, 29 uh, and 30, it says this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Right. This is where David could have used some help. Right. His words were very hurtful because he brought her family into it. He began to talk about her father who was who was killed on the battlefield, her brother and her whole household uh, that that God didn't choose any of them to sit on the throne. It meant painful words, hurtful words. And once we let those words go, we can't pull them back. They're out there. So so what we need to be is tactful. Pay careful attention to the things we say to those we love. Using foul language, angry words, hurtful words, it has no place in the Christian marriage. It has no place in the Christian home, right? Keep it tactful. Choose carefully what you say. Number five, keep it positive. Ephesians 4.31 
says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. You know, we can never resolve anything positively from a negative attitude. We need to, you know, settle down. We need to take some time, cool down a little bit, take some time to, to settle and get our thoughts back, get our mind right, get our heart right before we begin to proceed with this conversation. If you've ever uh, written an angry text or an angry email, right, if, if you, before you push send, you just walk away, cool down, and you come back, and you look at it, and you say, wow, I was going to send that? It's a good thing I took some time, right? And you can rewrite it to express what you really want to say. Take the time to cool down. Keep it positive, all right? Number six, lastly, keep it optimistic. Ephesians 4.32, it says this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You know, our disagreements don't have to become heated arguments. They don't have to. Our, our disagreements can be conversation points. Our disagreements can be a place for healthy optimism. That when we see a difference in our spouse and we understand a different set of values, then those things begin to surface. We can talk about differences between us. We can talk about it with a, a healthy optimism on how we can proceed into the future. Try to understand where your spouse is coming from. Try to understand where they're coming from. Keep it optimistic, right? Maintain hopeful expectancy in your conversations. Unfortunately, for David and Michal, this was one argument that marked the end of a beautiful love story, right? It, it brought an end. You know, the devil won. The enemy won. Anger won. Hostility won. The Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This means that our struggles aren't against people, especially the people we love the most. There's an enemy who's at work trying to create strife and division in your household, in your relationships, so if you happen to find yourself in a dispute, keep it accurate. Keep it under control. Don't let it carry on for days. Choose your words wisely and stay positive and optimistic. And God will make space for resolution. He is all about healthy relationships. So I'd like to pray for you this morning. I'd like to pray for our marriages, our couples, Let's go before the Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your words. We thank you, Father God, for our relationships, those we care about, those we love. We pray, Father, your presence upon our lives, your blessing, Father God, your peace, my God. We pray, Father God, that you would protect us, our loved ones, those we care about most, Father God, that you would give us a heart, my God, for those we love, those we care about, that you would give us a heart, my God, to watch the tongue, to keep our words in check, Father God. My God, let our love grow. Let it not diminish, my God, through selfish arguments, my God. We pray, Father God, that you would move in our midst, that you would bring about healing and restoration. Heal the family, heal the relationships, we pray, and have your way in our lives. We thank you this morning. We praise you and adore you, and we give you all the glory, for you are the Lord of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and God's people say,
Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. I certainly hope the Lord has spoken to you today through these words. I pray your marriage, your relationships are strengthened and continue to work out all that God is doing in your life so that you can shine with the glory of Christ. Amen. So that the world might see what God can do in the lives of those treasures that he has redeemed from the darkness. Amen. Be safe, and I hope to see you soon in the near future. God bless you. God bless you, and welcome to our communion service. I'm glad you're here with us. I'm here with my lovely wife, Debbie. Hi, good morning. I hope you join us this morning with communion. God bless you. So if you have the elements of communion with you, um, we're going to go ahead and start. Uh, if you have your bread, go ahead and take it, the cup, get it ready. And I'm going to read from a passage of scripture found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And this is Paul as he's describing what communion was all about to the church there. And uh, one of the things he was trying to say is that, hey, we need to examine ourselves because this act of communion symbolizes us taking in Christ into our physical bodies. It's a symbol of his, of his indwelling in our lives. And the Bible says this, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and we had given thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead and take the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Go ahead and take the cup. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus. We receive him. We thank you for what you've done for us on the cross of Calvary. And we pray, Lord God, unify us Lord, as a church, as a body, unify us with you. And I pray, Father God, that your glory may be seen in each of us. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Well, high five somebody there in your house and let them know Christ is in you. Amen. And whenever you eat, whenever you drink, always give thanks to the Lord. Amen. This symbolizes his presence among us. He is the bread from heaven. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, God bless you. We hope to see you soon. God bless you. Stay safe.